Thank you, thank you for that reading. Please pray with me. Dear God, just as the Israelites of old, we too sometimes wander and we lose our way. God, be our vision. God, be our guide in this life that you've given us. And may the words of the prophet open our hearts to hear your word. And we pray that those words may draw us back into your shelter and safekeeping. It is in humility that we offer this prayer to you, our good shepherd. Amen. A lamb has gone missing. Its mother is agitated and she runs up and down the fence. I left them just hours ago and they were safe and well and mothered and now it's gone. There are no clues. I ride around the field checking all the other mothers to see if they've stolen it and taken it by chance and and they haven't. I check the becks to see if it's perhaps fallen in and drowned. We try to keep our eye on the ewes and the young lambs. We try to keep them away from the becks, but it isn't always possible. And I hate losing a lamb. I check the neighboring fields, no sign. And then I see it's gotten itself stuck between the trunks of an old thorn tree about a foot off the ground. And it's just fine, just a little squashed and tired. I lift it out and it runs off to suckle its mother. You can lose hours looking for a lost sheep. That passage of a frantic search for a lost lamb is from James Rebank's memoirs entitled The Shepherd's Life, which British critics described as bloody marvelous. And I will tell you it is indeed bloody marvelous as it chronicles the life of a shepherd in the Lake District in England. Rebanks comes from a long line of shepherds in that region. He dropped out of school, like most other shepherds, at age 16. But when he returned for his uh, British GED equivalent, not only did he finish, but his talent was discovered, and he received a full ride to Oxford, and I could not more commend to you his writings. His memoir is a study of the Lake District, the craft of sheeping, and the intricate relationship between land, weather, sheep, and people. Now, for those of you that have even glanced through scripture, you'll know that it's mentioned sheep many times. In fact, more than 500 times. And if you look for references to you, lamb, or ram, or all the nuanced ways the Hebrew word for a small cattle is listed, it's ubiquitous. You see, sheep are the mainstay of the pastoral Israelites. It's sheep that provide food and milk and clothing, and they're even used for shelter in terms of their skins for tents. Inevitably, sheep become the medium of wealth accumulation and exchange. But sheep themselves, they are affectionate, they're docile, they're relatively defenseless and in constant need of care, such that there's a complex relationship with the shepherd. At times, they drive the shepherd to the heights of frustration and anxiety, but sheep will also fill a shepherd's heart with pride and love such that he will give it his all to find the lost sheep. From the very first book in scriptures to the very last, sheep are a constant presence. And their existence is more than just the presence of an animal. They are the metaphor. They stand in for the ever-present existence of the relationship between us and God. So just as a sheep cannot survive alone, they need the security of the herd and the protection of the shepherd, we too perish if we are ever alone. 
because you can't be a Christian alone. Each of us needs each other and God in this life. Now, in veterinary school, you may study, I quote, hollow-horned, typically gregarious ruminant animals, but if you want to learn how to raise and tend sheep, school and YouTube will not help you. You need to apprentice about the same time that you learn how to walk. James Rebanks was born into such a shepherd family with father and grandfather and generations that they could trace back to the Middle Ages in that lake district. In page after page, he describes gathering sheep from the fells or the hills in the late fall, struggling in snow and ice to keep them fed in the winter, the agony of lambing season in the spring, and plotting future bloodlines as they were breeding them in the summer. Shepherding can only be described as grueling labor that's never measured in hours, but it's a lifestyle devoted to the land and the creature and the weather and a trade that keeps you awake at night and fills every hour of your day. Rebanks claims, I quote, it's tough work that slaps the silliness out of you when you grow up in a place like ours. And then he defines three rules of being a shepherd. The first rule is, it's not about you, it's about the sheep and the land. The second rule, sometimes you can't win. And the third rule, just shut up and go back to work. (laughs) He does have a sharp tongue, but you can tell it's honed by being a shepherd through the toughest of times. He also has a gentle love for the sheep and his family. Rebanks' grandfather was the one that taught him how to be true to his responsibility, and this is what he writes. My grandfather loves to tell stories, and they're true stories, and this is how he passes on his values. It's how he tells me who we are, and they all have morals, these stories. We don't give up even when things are bad. We pay our debts. We work hard. We act decently. We help our neighbors if they need it. We do what we say we'll do. We don't want much attention. We look after our own. We're proud of what we do. We try to be quietly smart. We take chances to get on. We fail sometimes. We will be affected by the wider world, but we always hold on to who we are. Good lessons for us in any of our professions. But in shepherding, if you forget any of these values, that's when the flock begins to wither, neighbors fall away, and any trust evaporates, and isolation sets in, and you just get lost. A shepherd's life can only be measured by the passion extended to each of those small, obstinate creatures. And a shepherd's legacy depends upon a vision for the future that is rarely borne out in the generations that that shepherd gets to see. Now, we're preaching about shepherds because throughout Israelite history, any leader who was venerated as one of the greatest was never referred to as a commander, a king, or a warrior, even though that's who he may have been. But instead, those who were deemed righteous were described as only a humble shepherd. The patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, they all tended sheep. They got their hands dirty. And King David was chosen by God while he was just a young shepherd off in the fields that people had forgotten about. And yet the greatest king of all was always called the shepherd king. 
Now, anyone who's in a position to care for the well-being of group of people should be considered and should consider him or herself a shepherd. You see, she, CEOs are to be shepherds for their corporations. Financial managers are need to shepherd the wealth for which they've been entrusted. Doctors are shepherds for their patients. Parents are shepherds for their children. And then children grow up and become shepherds for confused parents. It's true. In the Judeo-Christian model, everyone who offers leadership, however modest or vast the scope, is to do so with the heart of a shepherd. You see, we all need shepherding. We need, first of all, guidance. We need someone to help us find the right path or rescue us when we stray. We all need protection, someone to warn us of hidden dangers and to shelter us from adversity and to restore us when we fail. And we all need nurturing, someone to share with us wisdom and truth. And yet those rulers and priests in the sixth century before the common era, they lost sight of those leadership ideals. And no doubt the leaders condemned by Ezekiel never sullied their hands in, sullen, in the sodden wool of a sheep or labored along with the ewe in birth. But actual animal husbandry has never been the point. You see, the shepherds of people are accountable to God for what happens to the sheep. And Hebrew scriptures tells us that God has a particular anger towards selfish shepherds. Throughout Ezekiel, God condemns leaders for feeding themselves when people starved. They didn't care for the weak or the injured, and it was because of their greed and their greed alone that people became targets of all forms of predators inside and out of the nation. The Israelite people became such easy prey that the Babylonians captured the holy city of Jerusalem and exiled the people far away from home. So consider a contemporary analogy if that just seems too far-fetched. I live in Chicago. So imagine if Chicagoans were sent to the far reaches of Alberta's province. We're exiled in a country where we will always be aliens and we live in tents and will never be home, all because of the corrupt behavior that damaged the lives of others. We were constantly fighting and it was too much greed that made us so vulnerable. It might seem like a far-fetched analogy, but that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem. And God was furious with the Israelite leaders. Despite giving them the 10 best ways and religious practices to center themselves back on God's love and all the prophets to speak truth and story after story to remind them of who they were and the importance of community, those shepherds got lost. So God promises to always come back, and this time God promises to be the true shepherd. And as we heard, thank you, Juliana Reed, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will provide for you. For you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God. You see, divine grace is never afraid to get into the muddiness of our lives and to drag us back to the loving community exactly where we belong. Now, some of you know we recently returned from a pilgrimage that we made at the Camino in Portugal and Spain, and that's my most recent experience of feeling what, it like, feeling what it's like to be shepherded. Each morning, we would receive a detailed written description of the walk from our guides, exactly where we were to meet the van, exactly how much elevation we would climb, 
the exact location of each turn by the color of the house, the size of the fence, the shape of the road. We knew exactly where we were supposed to be going, and then in each page there would be occasionally, in bold print and capital letters, this is an easy turn to miss, which was their polite way of saying, don't get lost. Although the Camino is well marked with yellow arrows and the symbol of the shell, our four guides for 12 pilgrims left nothing to chance. But you know what? Each day, several times a day, we would get to the fork in the road and we would just stop. You know, we'd take a few pictures, but we would just stop. We didn't. We waited. We were clueless, just like the sheep. And would you also be surprised to know that several times a day, each day, like a clueless sheep, one of us would take a wrong turn? And it took a guide to come get us back or one of the other sheep to say, come on, you missed the turn. You see, it's easy to get lost in life with guides and even with a group, but we're not supposed to be alone. So let's think now about the more substantive times in our life. When have you felt lost? Maybe it's you remember when you were young and felt as though no one heard you. Everyone had their own daily to-do and were driven literally and figuratively to matches and to practices and to tutors, but you just couldn't find anything to really care about, and you felt lost. Or maybe it's your drive down Sheridan Avenue or Lakeshore Drive in which you can do it almost with your eyes closed because you do it every day and you know where each turn and stoplight is, but you finally begin to wonder where you're headed. After a solid degree and landing a great first job, one by one, a promotion or a layoff became a detour, and now you have a mortgage intuition, and you sometimes don't know how you got to be so lost from both your passion as well as your path. And you wonder, will you ever get back to something that excites you? And you feel kind of lost. Or maybe you've been married for decades and become so familiar with a spouse that the routine has stifled what once drew you together. And you begin to see someone else as more attractive or more exotic, and you start to text or to call, and you can easily lunch your way away from marriage vows. You see, there's a lot of life in which it's easy to get lost. Just like the sheep, we get lost. And when sheep get lost, rarely do they cry out. They just hunker down and hide or wander further away seeking their own shelter, and they make it worse and harder to be brought back. We know what that's like too. It's easy to get lost and sometimes it's just easier to stay lost because we have our pride and we don't want to be humble and we are too stubborn to come back to the fold sometimes. But just as God promised, God sends and sent the Good Shepherd. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells story after story after story of searching for the lost sheep, the lost coin, or there's that wayward son who becomes lost, and it's the father who runs back doing everything to say, I love you, welcome home. And in all the lost unfound stories, not once does Jesus ever imply that whatever is found, meaning metaphorically us, never once are we required to pay a fine or sit in a penalty box. Jesus just assures us that he will bring us back to God's loving care and that there's a grace beyond whatever we can do. There is no mess or distance we get ourselves in 
that is ever beyond God's divine grace. There may be one more time when you can feel lost or fear you are becoming lost. It may be one more diagnosis of cancer, a test result that's not what you had hoped for, or the steady decline of memory. And we wonder if we can hold on to faith or if faith will hold on to us. And then we know that we begin to lose our hold on life, and that's when the Good Shepherd gathers us in and takes us beyond life. And that's when we hear these words in a prayer and a commendation that's offered by all denominations in a holy space when we memorialize someone. Into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant. Acknowledge we humbly pray, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive her into the arms of your mercy and the blessed rest of eternal peace. It's from womb to tomb, from font to grave, or whatever roads we take or whatever roads we find ourselves on, that there is a shepherd to lead us back to the flock, gracing us with constant companionship and food for the journey until we return safely home. We are never meant to be Christians alone. We are meant to be with one another. Please pray with me. Good Shepherd, at different times in our lives, we become lost. We pray that you will find us. We pray that you will bring us back and supply our needs. Hear now our silent prayers. Dear Shepherd, supply our needs. We pray this all in the gratitude of Jesus, who is our Good Shepherd. Amen.